off the ball. It's not okay for him to be fine in a test match like that. It's a fulcrum position where everything runs through nine and ten. You don't get to be fine in in matches like that where you start. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us you're very welcome along Monday Night Rugby we have Mr Andy Dunn back in studio hello hello Joe and Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times with us as well Jerry good evening good evening Joe so uh, the last time you two were on we got a phenomenal response and they were saying why don't you get Andy Dunn on a bit more with Jerry and more Andy Dunn, I'd say they were saying no. No, no, <laughs> both of you, both of you. But the answer, of course, is Andy Dunn's not bothered coming in unless it's a test match. I mean, there's no point ringing Andy Dunn the weekend of a URC game. So, do you want to come in and talk about it Monday? He's not available. He has no interest. He's a test match animal. Correct. Yeah. Right. I just want to true. put that to bed because yeah. I don't know if the ball realise how much we love Andy Dunn. <laughs> yes, we realise. We realise he hates us. <laughs> uh, Jerry, meanwhile, week in, week out. Yeah. Solid performance. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have the choice that he has. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, well, quite the weekend. We're going to focus in on Ireland, obviously. Ireland 13-10 winners against Australia. Uh, we had Wales 12, Georgia 13. We might do a follow-up piece on that situation. Uh, Scotland, you feel, are um, going along quite nicely, our future World Cup opponents. 52 points to 29 winners against Argentina. England 25, New Zealand 25, and then France continue their winning ways. A 35-17 win against Japan. So Ireland 13, Australia 10. Jerry, I'm getting a distinct sense of... What have you done for us lately, Ireland? I mean, if you're going to beat Australia, at least put on a show. This isn't good enough. <laughs> this isn't good enough. Yeah, well, there's that way of looking at it for sure. But then, you know, even Arsenal have had a few boring 1-0 wins this season. You can't go through the, the whole season just playing great every time. And if you said beforehand that they were going to lose Johnny Sexton, what was it, 15 minutes before kickoff thereabouts? That Jack Crowley was going to make his first start for Ireland at 10, having played just six games there for Munster. And that Ross Byrne was going to come out of the wilderness and land a winning kick. Beforehand, you might well have taken that. Um, I thought there was, uh, I thought it had been o- as an overall package to November. I think one of the downsides of being a really good side and number one bank the world and having a series win in All Blacks is that people analyse you more. And both South Africa certainly have, and Australia have big physical sides and gone after the Irish breakdown and it's caused us problems. But we've Ireland found a way to win both games and on Saturday, without being particularly fluid in attack, and even though the, the, def- the attack was well shackled by Australia, they found a way to win and... Uh, and the defence was magnificent. It was huge energy and belief. Everybody, the, the work rate of everybody getting up off the ground, the tackle count led by the ridiculous van, van der, Josh van der Fleer and Caelan Doris and the, the tackle figures for the tight five. It was, it was a mighty effort and they found a way to win. So I think, put it this way, Joe, I'm not saying it was great. I'm not saying that the, the performances scaled the heights of New Zealand in the summertime, but they've, they've got a winning habit and they found a way to win in difficult circumstances that had they not done so, I think the whole... Johnny Sexton dependent theory would have been given so much more oxygen now and would even have seeped through to the players. Now, I'm not saying that in some degree they weren't missing Johnny, they always are. But then again, in three World Cup cycles, the All Backs were never quite the same side without Dan Carter. Mm. You know, this is what happens with your generational players. Yeah. As for the game itself, Andy, I mean, it was, it was three points apiece at 65 minutes, so it was not a classic on the scoreboard front. Uh, Bundiaki try 66, Patea try 70 and then Ross Byrne with the winning penalty on 76. So what are you saying about the Irish performance in, in broad terms, first of all? I would fully agree there with Jerry in that they're finding different ways to to win and it doesn't always have to be box office. Um, and if I would, you know, the big concern for, for Irish public 
watching a successful cycle and one year out from a World Cup as everyone's chastened from 2018. But they're a markedly different team in that in 2018, we weren't finding different ways to win. We were playing the exact same way all the time. And exactly what happens when you're successful is you get massively analysed and you get... Everyone went away from our win in 2018 against the All Blacks and just said, right, these guys are number one in the world. Let's give them some special attention. Hey-ho, they all took about a week off and went, that's exactly how they play. Let's just stop it, negate it. It's just physically overpowered them. They don't have any other particular options that's going to happen again we're world number one but they're now going to look and they say okay they're really good defensive line out they've a mall they've a defensive mall and an attacking mall they've a pretty solid scrum they've got variation in their attack they're very good defensively they can win games through stopping opposition who are physically more powerful than them they can find ways to break through teams that are physically more powerful than them if we find ourselves you know, under the cosh in terms of strength levels, we've sufficient resources to absorb that. And then you look at the debate around sex and you say, would you have taken at the end of the November internationals the emergence of Jack Crowley? A lot to do with luck and timing. But yes, it's still an emergence and he's done very well. You've got an injured Frawley who's stepped into the scene in the last six months. You've now got Carberry who's an incumbent already and then you've got Ross Byrne kind of coming out of the shadows and showing incredible um, mental strength yeah, composure yeah just yeah. just he wanted that kick yeah. he just he, he was signaling like that you can't buy that in a kicker there's plenty of kickers wouldn't have been as um, I suppose definitive in that scenario he nearly ran over and took the ball and before he asked the captain you know I mean, that's something you can't instill in anyone and then suddenly you look at that in a, in a knockout scenario in a World Cup if it's coming down to a kick a fella who nobody was considering an hour before a kickoff is now kind of you're kind of going could he do a job could he go over and I, it's unlikely think I think he would go on a squad but nonetheless it's um it was it was a remarkable moment mm-hmm. yeah but overall yeah I'm fully in, in agreement with Jerry and I just think we're in a, in rude health mm. So if there are aspects of the Irish performance that you might quibble with, you would say first half in particular, Ireland had virtually no real possession in the Australian half. And there was that period where Australia must have got about 25 phases. They didn't do very much with it, but they had uh, phase after phase after phase for minutes on end. And it seemed Ireland were just routinely kicking the ball away, which is very Mm. unlike this team. And again, I don't know if that's down to almost nursing Crowley in and uh, experienced team members around him saying, well, let's just feel our way into this game or if it's something um, more serious but certainly Irish possession Irish possession and then led by Michael Hooper in particular mm-hmm. you would have to say Australia did a number in the main on Ireland at the breakdown they either slowed down Irish ball very considerably or else they had quite a few turnovers so they'd be the two glaring issues and maybe Ireland weren't great in the air either um, mm. is another aspect which of is so unusual though unusual That's a rare yeah. off day so they all combined to be um, mm-hmm. quite a big off day no? Yes, in, in in terms of the attack, it was an off day completely, and and I think I think Hooper two clean turnovers in the first half, and they were they really stymied Irish momentum at a time where they were building up quick tempo, and the second one was blatantly illegal. He didn't release it all, but he got away with it, so that can happen. Mm. And I, I think he got a third in the second half, and then there was a couple of counter rooks, which they did very well as well. 
So yes, but I think it's better that Ireland are forewarned now than on the eve of the World Cup that this is how the teams are going to come after. There were a few rooks which I just didn't think they resourced sufficiently. There was only one clear out and he missed the clear out. I think they'll look in great detail that. I thought that was the lesson from the South African mm. game and now it's been reinforced by what Australia did. So yes, I also, the Crowley performance was interesting. I'd be really interested to hear Andy's taking it yeah. because um, as a former at half, we didn't have any chance for a ch- chat beforehand and I was looking forward to this, see what you'd say about his performance. I watched him again and I thought he had 21 passes only in the game and two carries. Like he didn't have an awful lot of ball. Mm. I thought Gibson Park was almost trying to do almost a little bit too much at times, as if it was preordained, take the pressure off Jack. Particularly going blind twice Mm. with 15 against 13. Mm. When you've got a seven on five in the back line, you go an all or nothing play, one phase on the blind side both times. Now, okay, came within a hair's breadth of a try when Mac Hansen fired the pass back inside Jim's Kips Park and everybody said, oh, it would have worked. But the thing about doing that twice was that A, Crowley wasn't involved in either of those plays against 13 men which would have been nice to see. <laughs> and secondly, um, it brought in the touchline as a 14th defender for Australia. It just didn't seem the wisest play, and you can't blame Jack Crowley for that. So I think there's an element of trying to protect him a little bit much, but I really like his body language. I think he strikes the ball really well. Um, he's got a high skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, I just would have loved to see him. He made one. He had to make one carry early on when he was kind of forced into it. And he carried, he's a really good carrier. Mm-hmm. He had the least carries of any player in the Irish team. You would have mm-hmm. liked to see him to do a little bit more because he's got that in his locker. He could beat anybody in a phone box. Yeah, he's, well, he scored a try, I think, was it three seasons ago for the under the 20s. 20s from within his own 22 that very few rugby players at any age group, representative clubs, schools, international. It's just the type of try that very few people can score. So I certainly had flagged that three, four years ago and it wasn't, certainly wasn't alone. What do you think of his performance, Jack? On Saturday, what I, I would... I would um, I'd be delighted if I was him right? because um, to underplay your card and underplay what you've got in your first international is a better outcome than overplay your hand, make three howlers Mm. and have three good things happen too Mm. because everyone immediately questions then your ability to, to manage the team. So what he came in relatively seamlessly, he didn't disrupt things in terms of stability. Mm-hmm. He f- he fell into patterns and that takes a lot of control and reserve. And I don't know if that was his own level of confidence to say, I'm just going to come in. I'm not going to try and be Johnny. I'm not going to try and prove myself overly to everyone. He did the very basic parts of his job. It reminds me of, you know, the, the midfielder you might see in an understated role in the premiership, which seems to be always passing sideways a little bit and not making any telling passes. That's fine, I think, in your first international in the circumstances that happened. I think he was protected by Gibson Park, which is a plus because Gibson Park has the ability to do that and take pressure off Johnny Sexton if needs be on a given day. There's one thing that, uh, Joe, you're asking was, you know, where are there, where are there issues or, you know, on an accumulative off day, where are there issues that we're seeing in this team? There's a consistent issue that's gone on for years is our inability to get out of our 22, for my mind, with, with clarity and efficiency. And a prime example would be if Jack Crowley is a good boot, a right footer, and it's the same when Sexton's there, by the way. Is you, you pass, we're passing now directly behind the rook or at an angle to a left footer, and whether it's James Lowe and on Saturday it was Jimmy O'Brien, you're closing down his angle massively and he's kicking to touch on his left foot. Mm. 
it just makes no sense on any level. The alternative to that is a is a wayward or aimless box kick at times. I just no one yet has has explained to me convincingly why you can't stand at ten at forty five degrees from the rook, kicking it like right to left with a with a curve that is in favour of that, and kick yeah. it sixty meters. Yeah. Everybody's capable of it. And we, we have literally taken it out of our game for about four years. So we spend loads of time in our own 22 on a regular basis, needlessly. Lights are doing something funny here, sorry. Um, but The exits haven't been great in this, no, in this window. No, the exits and haven't been great for a long, long time. I thought they were better in New Zealand. I think part of the problem actually is because Gibson Park is quite rusty, that some of his boxes yeah. have been quite poor. Yeah, and it's just something that is, in a team that seems to be extremely well managed, that has variation in their game, it just doesn't add up to me that we won't give ourselves a break and a breather at times and get it to the right footer to launch it as long as possible and trust what is a very good defence in terms of tackles, in terms of tackle count, in terms of defensive system and work rate. Trust it, kick it 60 metres, take a breather. As long as you're hanging around your own half, scrambling for an exit, you're adding workload to yourselves in a, in a in an area that's a, a tricky area, you know. And I bring up one more point with him on the same topic you just brought up about Ireland's attacking game. I thought there was quite a lot of lateral running at times. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. There was yeah. quite a lot of lateral running. Unless Stuart McCluskey or Bundy when he came on was straightening it up, yeah. there was a lot of that. And yeah. they were just fanning across. Well, they, the Aussies don't have this. Their defensive system, South Africans would be massively yep. shooting out of the yep. line the Aussies have always been traditionally um, drift defenders mm. I think they were the ones who introduced it mm. when nobody knew what defensive systems were so this kind of up and out or very kind of passive defence that they, they escort you towards the touch lines and then they get then they get on top of you and try and pill for the ball so they do that better than most in terms of that drift defence and I think we didn't counter that enough mm. but I, I would say that's a little bit of a feather in their cap as well that yeah. defensively yeah. excellent on the drift for a long long time yeah. okay. so if you were to throw all that into the pot stir it up mm. and reach a conclusion are Ireland being worked out more so now than they were a couple of months ago is that what's going on here um, or is it more Irish performance levels no, I think teams are just finding ways to be more disruptive and, and they will, but I, they went after the breakdown with a degree of, of success on Saturday. But when we've got multiple ways to play, they can't focus on every area and negate us in every area. That's the beauty of what's going on at the moment. That's why I'm not overly, certainly not perturbed by a win against Australia when you lose Johnny Sexton 20 minutes before kickoff. We've still got the wherewithal to go out and beat them. And... Um, no, I, I, I'm not overly concerned that teams are finding it easier to play us. They're just finding ways to be more disruptive. And I, I think we will, in due course, find ways to counter that. I could okay. never understand why Ireland started the week as 14-point favourites against a side that came that close to beating France, mm. who could now be four from four in this tour. Yeah. Like they, could have beaten, they should have beaten the All Blacks in Melbourne. Yeah. They've beaten South Africa. As a ninth-ranked side in the world, they're probably the best ever ninth-ranked yes. side in the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What were you seeing, Jerry, at the breakdown? Why were Ireland being stymied? Like I said earlier, looking back at it again, they did. It was a lot of physicality. They yeah. were just going after it. Hooper's brilliant over the ball. He's just—he's always been historically one of the best in the, in the business. And there were times when just the clean out was missed, or it looked like it should have. Had, there should have been another player there, and that wasn't there. So I think they'll—they'll they'll, Paul O'Connell will forensically look at that, and they'll come up with solutions. They'll go—they'll go through every one where the ball was delayed beyond three, four, five seconds. It was, a fair few of those. It was Work. a tough game for Gibson Park Because well. they've been so good there yes. over the last and year. And it's the lifeblood of their attack. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 
On uh, Sexton, just uh, curious, so there's the Crowley versus Sexton, what their contributing aspect in, in nuts and bolts terms. But there is something with this Irish team increasingly where it does feel like when Sexton's not on the pitch, there are so many other things mm. that don't function quite as smoothly as well. Like when's the last game without Sexton? And it's a it's not a great question because he's played the vast majority of them. But when's the last time without him Ireland have really ticked on a whole ho- host of ways? Well, there's been very few and the first one that springs to mind is Argentina a year ago, last November. Joey played really well. He played 50, 60 minutes at out half and then went really well when he went back to fullback. Mm. And Ireland won convincingly that day. Now, that's, anytime you win convincingly, then it comes with caveats. It's like England winning 6-2 today, therefore Iran must be terrible. Mm. So Argentina were at the end of a very difficult long year, yeah. spent living in a bubble and travelling and all of that. But the attack was really fluent that day. I'm trying to think of a frontline match that Johnny Sexton has missed since then. He will miss mm. Paris. Well, Paris, yes. Yep. Um, I'm thinking of um, Rory O'Connor often mentions it, that James Ryan line where he was in effect paying tribute to Johnny. Mm-hmm. You know, so Johnny had reached another milestone. I'm not sure uh, which Johnny Sexton had. And, and Ryan said, look, when he's at training, everything's up a notch. When he's around, everything's up mm. a notch. Now, the counterpoint to that. <laughs> the, when the, he's not there. Yeah. And so I don't know. Do you sense that in this? Are things are just... And when he's on the pitch, he's like a player coach, isn't he? He's mm. constantly pulling players into position mm. and there just seems to always have any more options for him yeah. as a result. Yeah. Do you remember that time, the second half, when Jack Cody's going left to right and he's got Hugo Keane almost too close to him and he's got Tygburn flat and there's a pass out the back to Stuart yeah. McCluskey and he goes through with the pass to Tygburn as he's been hit yeah. by one of the Aussie second rows. Yeah. You don't see that happen that much when Johnny's no. there, do you? I don't know what, why this popped into my head. That's mm. not looking at Jerry, but I... Teen, remember the film Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox? <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm aged, I'm, it's around my age and he was basically a basketball player who turned into a werewolf and he'd inherited this weird thing from his father but the whole thing became they couldn't play without Teen Wolf because he was the wolf, he ran the team, he was the alpha male or the wolf in the team. Yeah. A bit ridiculous as an analogy but ultimately the team had to learn to cope without him and uh, it's a very similar uh, albeit weird analogy to say we have to cope mm-hmm. without Johnny and I think we're doing our absolute best in the circumstances he is a generational player New Zealand were not the same without Carter nope. England were not the same without Wilkinson yeah. everyone didn't you know completely obsess about who who we got to replace him while he's there he's still here and while he's not there we've now got a team that plays in in a way that dilutes responsibility anyway across the team. You've got front rowers like Furlong uh, coming in and being first receiver more than ever before. You've got this unique kind of setup in attack, the structure where we can hit runners, we can go out the back door. You've got multiple options in midfield. You've got the likes of McCluskey coming in, playing three games and adding huge value where we've already got value. And I just think... It's as good as it could possibly be without him at the moment. And then you've you've also got players who are all good enough. Like people need to cool the jets and say, Ross Byrne is good enough to play international rugby. Joey Carberry is good good enough enough. to play. Kieran Frawley is good enough. And now we've got Jack Crowley. Like how many do we want? Mm. We don't. If Johnny's not there, fine. We just got to get on with it a bit, I think. And the team needs a bit of support in that sense as well. There's a kind of a bit of hyperbole obviously you know oh god when he when he pulls out everyone gets frantic we went out and won that was a that was panic stations no doubt there's a part of Andy Farrell that probably would have welcomed it I well, think it's a test sir, it's a I, test of our team I think he loves there is. He, he loves he, like exactly disruptions. what this this coaching team are good at yeah yeah and bringing in someone like Crowley 
Um, Whereas Joe wouldn't have liked that because it would have Joe, been uncontrollable. No, exactly. No. He would have gone bananas and, and I, the team would have felt that fear. Yeah. And Yes, there would have been you an know. anxiety because I don't know, you might not have seen the pre-match interview with Farrell. You were watching on TV, I know. Yeah. I would have said Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late, with he wants everything yeah. thrown at them as was, much as possible. Before was like, the this World is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. This could happen. Maybe he did up. plan it. I'm still. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I actually the he conspiracy theorist, yeah. middle-aged conspiracy theorist, sitting yeah. at home with a glass of wine. I went, come off it. But then I realised the one thing I saw was um, Crowley was wearing Sexton's jersey. You can see it in the bottom the names now and Ross Byrne who took the kick there's a brilliant photo on the Leinster rugby website and he's wearing Jack Crowley's uh, jersey so my conspiracy theory went out the window sitting right. at home with my glass of wine okay. but I mean um, you're so right The Farrell kind of got off on that yeah. and that's a brilliant trait because stuff goes wrong and yep. stuff goes wrong badly at World Cups yeah. yep. you want someone who gets off on that and says right and the rest of the team rise up to it it's like can you step up and that's a brilliant psychological um, approach for the gr- for this current group of Irish players where you're not it's not fear and avoidance it's like embrace it ultimately just one last thing ultimately what? Ireland won like I said at the very beginning of well, this so, sorry See, if you, Ireland you hadn't won yeah. then we would be going to town on the Johnny Saxon dependency theory totally here's the point the negative view but I think it's valid if South Africa have an out half they win that game I think Razzie on the flight home if he's not on Twitter <laughs> is secretly chatting with the coaching staff and saying Ireland that's fine we've got that boxed off not worried about that out half we'll win that game neutral venue no worries at all and we're telling ourselves we've handled a big team and I think we're a little too cocksure of that all of a sudden and then secondly if Australia had a modicum of discipline a modicum of discipline they would have won that game and if Will Skelton and I know ifs buts maybes injuries Will Skelton uh, had started that game but fit enough to play it might have been a very different story as well so I think there is a real degree of us reading too much into the results and not looking enough at these performances and then we would be having the Sexton debate and I still think the Sexton debate is more alive than ever because how did Joey Carberry do? Well to quote Gordon Darcy last week he did fine but fine's not really good enough and Jack Crowley for his second cap did very well but if we're going to fast track this guy you know, there's, there's five, six international games left. So I think th- fine is good enough. Fine is fine is good enough as long as the, the apex or the fulcrum of your team isn't built around the 10. And this team, ha- they've diluted that role away from Sexton mm-hmm. because they have loads of players and options and they want to be versatile. And they've, they've done this. They have an imprint to doing this now for about a year and a half. And it makes us more sustainable far more difficult to beat and, and more adaptable in these little crisis moments with an injury or selection so I you're dead right like we could have lost to South Africa and Australia if and they Australia if they Australia, either of them had a better out half you're, yeah and, and Australia obviously have discipline issues yeah. but I would still look at the overall performance and say there is there's so much capacity to improve in that group compared to 2018 where they're at peak levels playing a repetitive and predictable game and they peaked in 2018 and that's that's a very different scenario so you know what I mean totally fair point and a really good nuanced point but we should underline this November then by saying Ireland are really going to have to improve in lots of ways yeah I I would have thought so so is everyone else like you know it's we're world number one. I, I certainly don't think the group are get the type 
they're just not the type and we're, we're too hurt from history yeah. no one's getting carried away not one person in that group is walking around and in, it's in great that Andy Farrell was part of that coaching ticket and has a different coaching Absolutely. philosophy and that Johnny and so many of the leading players were part yeah. so they know what went wrong in 2018 yeah. stroke yeah. 19 they're um, more adaptable look it is what it is this team has a better chance of going far in the World Cup with Johnny Sexton at, at 10 but hey we knew that anyway but the, sure. the England team that won in 03 and I did a close link to that from my playing years over in England and the stories I heard from Greenwood and Jason Leonard and they weren't peak level until that World Cup happened but what they were doing was winning tests ugly winning tests pretty just winning games and they were fine ways they went down to New Zealand and won much like Ireland have done. They won their autumn tests. They just found ways to do it using different personnel and different styles. And it seems to be a big parallel there in this current group. Not, also, not peaking, but... They were winning matches for about two years with no Mike Cat. But then actually yeah. Johnny Wilkins was a little off colour in the World yeah, Cup. Yeah. They brought Mike Cat, which was Clive Woodward's one surprise selection. Yeah. And he played a vital goal in taking some of the heat and pressure off Johnny Wilkinson yeah, yeah. in the semi-final, in the yeah. quarter-final off the bench, in the semi-final, yeah. and an extra time in the final. So, I, and I think Ireland have those kind of options. And I think, yeah. I take your point, Joe, entirely. I've come away from both those games thinking, yep, Ireland got away with one there. I mean, I actually wrote the, the men in goal will be kicking themselves all week because mm. that was a golden chance. Mm. Really was a goal. They must be tearing their hair out. Yeah. They could be four from four now in this tour. They don't strike me as an intelligent team. Mm. They really don't. And yeah, like, um, that might sound derogatory, but if you keep giving 16, 18 penalties away in an international, this is going on about six months. It's very, very bad. You're like, sorry, well. that is just... Four neck rolls in the first half. That's got to be a record. The, the neck roll thing was off the charts. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't strike me as an intelligent group of people. If they're not learning from it or changing it, I don't know how that's happening at international level, but they're, they're repeat offenders, which is unforgivable. Mm. They are missing a few frontline players, though, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're a threat to the next World Cup because, you know, <laughs> yeah, Australian yeah. World Cups, yeah. that's how fluid it, I remember, Matt, I think Matt made a similar point on TV. Yes. It's very open, fluid and competitive at the moment. I think There's no runaway team. Point worth making, yeah. Maybe France, France at home, maybe. Because yeah. I think Ireland obviously had the benefit of New Zealand at a low ebb in the summer, which really helps your ranking points when you win a mm. series down there. True. France, I think, played Japan, didn't yeah. they, during the summer? Yeah. So you're not getting a huge amount of ranking points. Mm. I think the general feeling is France, not least with home advantage, are a, a little bit ahead of everyone, are certainly favourites. Mm. But it is wide I watch open. a lot of them because I just find France compelling. Yeah. And their real problem position was full back with uh, Melvin Jaminet. He couldn't catch cold, remember? Yeah. He was a great goal kicker. Yeah. And he's got some other strengths to his game. But Thomas Ramos, been playing all season brilliantly that half for Toulouse, comes in at fullback. He's a metronomic goal kicker and he's just a better natural footballer at both fullback and that half. What a weapon to have. So he's come through. Um, the former captain in the back row. Oh, the bump, 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 bump. Olivon is back and playing brilliantly as well. Mm. Damien Penno is still... They've, they've had a really good month. Yeah. And you know what the great advantage they've got is not only do they play at home, but before every game, 80,000 people sing La Marseillaise. Mm. It's a huge lift. <laughs> like, you listen to the Aussie national anthems in ours last Saturday night by comparison. Mm. It's just, it's, it's going to be extraordinary atmosphere for all their yeah. home games. So they are favourites at this juncture, no doubt. One last uh, quick question to wrap all that conversation up. If you were uh, given the option of investing more time in Crowley or Carberry for the Six Nations as being on the bench behind Johnny for the Six Nations, based on what you've seen, Who? Um, oh, I would, I would probably go for Crowley. Really? Crowley, yeah. Um, because I've, I think uh, that's not based on what I've seen. That's based on what I think it has in terms of potential. I think 
um, Joey has hit a kind of um, plateau. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a plateau in his play at ten, and it's not it's not a low level plateau. It's a kind of um, moderate, stable level of play, and I think Crowley has the capacity maybe to do a bit more. He's he's less. Um, baggage in the tank in terms of the injuries he's you know he his first he came on the pitch against Fiji he grabbed the ball to kick a penalty to touch and he went to the 5 metre line he didn't go to the 10 the 15 every most 10s even the established ones are just going to kick for safe touch They're not, and that, that also grates with me because you're a professional player you've got to squeeze every inch out of your penalties to touch he nailed it to the 5 metre line with his first touch in international rugby that strikes me as someone who's got this inner belief, deep inner belief in what he's capable of. His body of. language conveys that too. His enthusiasm, his energy conveys all yeah. of that. So and he's I, out, he actually is, seems to be playing with a little bit more enthusiasm and energy yeah. than Joey is at the moment. Yeah, and I think Joey is... It looks to swagger back. Yeah, and Joey has the option. That I've, I've always pushed for Joey at 10 in terms of if he can be more of, a, of an independent threat on his own. That doesn't seem to be happening in his game for quite a period of time. But he's definitely worth being involved in and around the squad. But I think it'd be worth looking at Crowley in a couple of Six Nations games. I also think if that neither of those options are there, Frawley did really, really well. And as as another guy who has he, he just has a he's a lad who seems to be unfazed in the Irish green Very number ten jersey. Too, and, I think, and, and Versa. Yeah. The part of the issue here is what Munster do next. I know. Limerick they, will decide this ultimately. There's Ben Healy there as well. Yeah. Like Jack Crowley came into this window as third choice Munster at half. Having just, like I said earlier, only started six matches ever, 10 for Munster. Mm. Part of that is COVID related, but it also is, it's the traffic jam at 10 in Munster as well when you think that JJ was there for a while. So what, what will they do next? I mean, will Jack, how many games will Jack Crowley start at 10 between now and the Six Nations for yeah, Munster? Is Andy Farrell and allowed to get on the phone and say, Graham? I, well, he might have better joy with Graham than he would with anybody else. Given yeah. they're, they're quite close, and Graham knew in the block. I don't know, but yeah. Um, what we do know about Andy Farrell, though, and Mike Cash and the rest of the coaching ticket is they're quite prepared to go against the provincial packing order. Oh, sure. They've done it repeatedly. Mm. You know, the Gibson Park really was ahead, was behind Luke McGrath when they decided he's coming mm. into us. Yeah. And there's been other examples of that as well. Yeah. So. But a 10 needs minutes, you know. Yeah, and that's Ollie that's Campbell, who was, who was a great mentor to me and uh, Irish rugby legend and famous out half. You, can't ju- you cannot judge a 10 until he's played three consecutive 80 minutes in a row. That would be his uh, mantra, and I fully agree with it. Really? Yeah. You need three. Now, that's not going to happen for no, any of them. Between now and the World Cup, so they've got to make a gamble. My guess is that if he's fit, Joey Carby will start the Heineken Cup games for Munster mm. between now and the Six Nations which makes it likelier that he's going to come in as the number two to Johnny. So all if they're all fit, it's a little bit similar at centre, like Stuart McCluskey starts three tests and Rudd does very well. But Bundy's cameo at the end kind of makes you think that if Bundy, Robbie and Stuart McCluskey are all fit, he's still third in the pecking mm. order. So it's going to be difficult for them to get time for Jack Crowley, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yes, it is. We're going to take a very short break. Jerry and Andy are staying with us. Our rugby coverage here and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The uh, Nick White controversy, obviously a significant aspect of the game in Dublin. Uh, back in just one second. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 
Welcome back Jerry Thornley Andy Dunn still with us During the ad break We started talking about The out half situation again We're not going to do that <laughs> <laughs> Heaven knows we're not But we went right back to it uh, During the ad break So the uh, Nick White uh, Controversy as it's become now Because uh, Subsequent to Returning to the field On Saturday evening He's been ruled out Of the Wales game He's been stood down For 12 days Sydney Morning Herald Did interesting detail On what was going on behind the scenes on Saturday. So there was the Mac Hansen tackle, which he made on the sideline, and the Australian team doctor and the independent match doctor were uh, viewing those pictures on the sideline. And it was whilst they were viewing those pictures that incident two happened. That was where he... Uh, his head went off. Josh, Josh went off his knee. knee slash ground. It was hard to get... It was hard to see exactly to what extent it, he took a dunt off the knee, but appeared to. And the uh, period where he was stumbling then on the pitch... Both doctors reportedly missed that because they were busy viewing the first incident. And in some respects, that makes a degree of sense, or certainly that explains why he came back onto the pitch, because the rules are very, very clear on this point. Any player with concussion, suspected concussion, is immediately and permanently removed. Without even recourse to an HIA, yeah. HIA not necessary, and one of the um, indicators of concussion Mm -hmm. is unsteady on feet, balance problems, poor coordination. They were very visible. And Ben O'Keefe, the referee, was caught on his microphone saying, I saw him stumble. So clearly, if the uh, doctors had seen him stumble, they would have understood straight away, no HIA is required and he's permanently removed from the field of play. So it didn't make sense. His return didn't make sense on Saturday night. It makes sense sense now, now. but it's still a shambles. It it makes more sense now and we should be grateful for the explanation because it wasn't a good look at all for the game on Saturday given what the game is currently going through and the the crisis that it's facing in this issue. Um, I'm reluctant to even make any opinion as to whether Nick White was concussed or not. I'm not a doctor. And it's it's irrelevant actually. Yeah, it's irrelevant what any journalist thinks. We're not neurologists. it's 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 irrelevant whether or not he was concussed. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. But it's also relevant to what my opinion on it is because I'm not qualified. Sure. Um, but uh, it, is, it was a bad look for the game. It was surprising he came back on. What was really scary, Joe, was listening to him talk after. He's one of the two Australian players that were brought into the media. Yeah, what was that about? Of all the players? What of were, all the players. Were they sending he, him down out to, to If he was concussed, it just fires. shows you that, well, it make, it, to be able to speak coherently mm. 20 minutes after full-time whistle or half an hour later is clearly no indicator. Because mm-hmm. you never would have thought that this guy got a head knock during the game, the way he spoke. He spoke like Nick mm-hmm. White ever would have done, I would have thought. But anyway, um, so yeah, I guess it's a bad look for the sport. It was surprising to see him come back on. I'm glad it's been clarified. And it's almost a relief to hear he's been stood down for 12 days, isn't it? Yeah. Thoughts? Um, yeah, I... I it's a com- it's a confusing area. From, I'm understating that slight, ever so slightly. Um, the the Aussie culture is a bit different. I think sporting culture. If you look at so the NRL, rugby league is a much bigger sport down there, and Aussie rules obviously. But if you watch even the grand final of the NRL, just gone or state of origin, like absolutely lawless head contact tackle technique commentators you know hollering and whooping when a guy gets a headshot and people are wobbling around on the field that's still part of their sporting culture that dictates you know who turns up and watches it that that dictates TV viewing figures 
there's a there's a baying for blood in their sporting public and I think to be honest I think that's in a lot of sporting publics but if you're a game that's on its knees down in Australia and the NRL is has this more gladiatorial approach and less concern for the welfare of players I could also understand the Aussies just trying to say look we'll try and get on with it a bit I don't agree with it in any way but I can see from a cultural point of view they're up against it there in terms of their their what what are they selling in terms of the game and um yeah so I I then you get into all kinds of gray areas between what are, what's the message from the coaching team what are they trying to say when people are taking a knock are they saying look we'll get up and get on with it as, unless we can prove otherwise there's all kinds of conjecture and you know you're getting into tricky territory and and um yeah I just it was it did it was a standout moment because we ha- it rugby has become very well regulated even though there's still moments where we where there's not 100% clarity yeah rugby has become quite homogenized and well regulated to where it was 10 years but, ago and, and to be fair and to rugby Compared I, to what we're seeing at the World Cup this afternoon in the England-Iran game. 14 minutes start for a keeper that can't be temporarily replaced. They are miles behind yeah. in football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think Rugby Union needs to give itself a little pat on the back in that sense. But a lot of ground to make up though, Andy. Yeah, it did. But there are other sports. And the other thing is you can't eliminate risk from Rugby Union. You can't, like, you know, people are, are, are watching UFC and it's barbaric. People getting a shin kick to the cheekbone but there's a hell of a lot of people paying for paying uh, you know uh, pay-per-view fights you've got you know you've got NRL in Australia where there's massive I'm, I'm not condoning it but I'm saying like where do you draw the line if you ask a consultant neurologist how do you eliminate risk further from rugby you know I had a friend who had a, a, a tragic spinal injury at 17 he didn't have a head contact he tackled someone at hip level you cannot eliminate physical contact and collision from rugby union much more than you're currently doing so I mean they're doing pretty well it's yeah I agree with you but in if this window and last summer highlights into me there's still a long way to go and there isn't um, there's a surprising lack of uniformity in approach to this in the global game at the moment mm. Like the red card in the second test for the All Blacks that put Gary Ringrose out of the third test. Mm-hmm. That put him out of that match in the second and the, and the third test. It was, it, was, it was quite shocking to hear former All Blacks legends on television saying, oh, that's just a rugby incident. The game's gone soft. Mm. It's kind of, like, do not yeah. know what's going on in the game. Mm. Vern Cotter came in after the Fiji game no, and completely disputed yeah. that red card and asked, was that foul play? Mm. Uh, yes, it was. There, I'm wondering, do we have to bring down a line and a jersey? Potentially. And potentially, I think Might we do. That. Yeah. A few questions yeah. do need to be asked, though, of the Australian coaching staff and their medical team. I would Did agree, they yeah. see the pictures in the coach's box that we all saw on television of their player stumble? I would have thought so. so. I would have thought so. Why yeah. did, did they not feel an obligation or did they not hear in the ref mic O'Keefe say he saw a stumble? Did they, it's just a question, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think it's a valid one. Did they not feel an obligation to make sure that their medical team knew that there had been a stumble if they'd seen the pictures? The other question which needs to be asked is uh, the HIA process is fundamentally flawed. There, we are working towards saliva tests and other tests to definitively decide, diagnose concussion. At the moment, we don't have those tools. We have a HIA. It's the best anyone can manage in a bid to try and keep at least a game going and people on the pitch, which is the reality. Because otherwise, any doctor would just say, oh, just just come off, exercise extreme caution. There's a degree of trying to manage the physicality of rugby. 
so the HIA is, is, is not perfect and has never claimed to be perfect. And that's uh, proved by the fact Jeremy Lockman passed during the summer and Nick White passed. The, the scary parallels in this situation uh, with Lockman, New Zealand rugby came out and said, look, the stadium, whatever way it was set up, the medics didn't have access to the footage of him stumbling. And so it only seemed it was at half time. That's right. Yeah. That it was identified. Mm-hmm. Who knows where the word come from Dublin, people texting saying, have you not seen what's happened here? Who knows when how that arrived? But the scary thing here is for me, we now need to ask what's going on in HIAs. How, as part of a diagnosis, video footage is not a fundamental part of that, I don't know. Like if you were a doctor doing a HIA, the first thing you'd want to look at is the footage of the incident. Let me see it and let me see generally that is the case afterwards that is generally the case but the point is so the the explanation here is that well and I sort of accept the explanation it's not ideal but the explanation is well they were looking at the first Mm. uh, incident when the second one happened so they didn't see it okay fine but you then have 10 minutes where the player is off the pitch at that point surely the first thing anyone is doing before you start asking the questions and what day of the week it is and all the other stuff is um, let me see the footage of the second incident let me see the player's behaviour after the incident before we proceed with this HIA. Let's rule out criteria one issues. Like, what's the point in the guidelines of having these criteria one issues? Dazed, mm. lack in balance. If you're not going to double check those things. I'm not a doctor. I could tell he stumbled. Yeah. So for me, that HIA system is now completely undercut. My faith in the HIA system is completely undercut because that player stumbled and the HIA system didn't identify it. We're in a world-class stadium, world-class facility. There are television pictures. Your HIA didn't look at what had happened. Mm. You went straight into whatever the tests are and HIAs are not perfect. The footage was conclusive. Mm. And that, for me, like World Rugby need to come out and explain why video evidence is not being used in HIAs at the weekend. It is being used and has been used for years. And the Aviva, I remember Dr. Inafalvi taking us around Giving the, the journalists an extended tour of this whole process in the undergrounds of the stadium and the stands, and when they're running out on the pitch, the physio or whoever, they've got an earpiece with the doctor telling them who's looking at the yeah. the footage. And, that, and he's been with World Rugby, I don't know how long, because that, that's been in place for five, six years, at least, if not longer. So this was a mistake, and somehow they're not examining all the footage as soon as they should have done. Even when Nick White was down the second time, that's when they should have been looking at the second incident there. Well, but they may not have enough manpower. But, and, and I can actually appreciate that it's quite unfortunate for Nick White to be involved in two incidents in quick succession. Mm. They're examining the first, the second one happens. That's fine. Not ideal, it's fine. But then when they're in the state, in the, in the under the stand doing the HIA, mm. everyone take a deep breath. I'm just going to have a look at the two incidents. Mm. You wait there a moment, Nick. Mm. Does seem that that's what should have been done. Think about common sense, Joe. It's not very common. But is that not in the, is that not in the HIA protocol? Like step one, before you get into asking Nick questions or testing Nick, I'm just going to watch the footage over here while you wait here because I want to make I want to rule out stumbles yeah, yeah. and dizziness and all that mm. stuff. And it did it ha- Lockman this happened in the summer mm-hmm. and now here we are and it that part is inexplicable. No. Yeah, and particularly Diviva Stadium for a fully fledged tier 1 test yeah. match. And the facilities are there, the camera work is there, it's all there, it's all available to them. They're all mic'd up to each other. There's like Yes, it should have been done. I'm, I'm at a loss to know why it didn't happen. That for it me is been. the crucial. Yeah. So people have come out and said, oh, well, that explains it, mm. how it happened. And it does, mm. but it doesn't explain how the HIA didn't find it under the stands mm. when they have the 10 minutes. That's what the 10 minutes is for. Yeah. To everyone. Yeah, he was back on in eight minutes, wasn't he? I think it was eight minutes he was, was off he? the pitch. Okay. So that's eight minutes there, that window, 
for them to look at the footage of both instances. I had thought it was 13, but regardless, regardless. It, it should be the first port of call. Yeah. And then that HIA could have lasted two minutes because it would have been, oh, we stumbled. We're not yeah. doing the HIA. Yeah. Nick, yeah. Nick, put your feet up, relax. Yeah. And so you send them back out there to make more tackles against yeah. lads twice his size. You know, that's the... Yeah, and there's like there's an element thing. from pa- past the watershed in terms of shithousery that goes on in the coaching teams. Like, there's plenty of times we've I've seen coaches who will want to push and squeeze the limit on every single situation and scenario they can, mm. and they'll be sending in messages and they'll be putting pressure on medics. That's when it, I'm not suggesting this was one of those moments, yes. but I've seen countless, and I don't believe professional coaches when the walls are closing in and results matter are looking at these incidents and thinking with absolute clarity I need to protect every single player and their welfare some of them are thinking he's probably grand how can we tweak it how can we you know? I think there's you less of that Andy now yeah. in the current class I think there's much but by the same token I also know of one very well known coach who once upon a time coached Ireland once upon a time coached Wales and several times has coached the Lions so you can guess who it was and he is well known within the medical centre with all the doctors he's worked with of just saying, that's your call, you decide if he's fit or not. He would never, ever, ever try to influence a doctor or a medic, and never has done. Yes. So there's the other side of it as well, look, that's, that's for them. This yeah. is not our area. Yeah. Mm. That's for the doctors to decide. Yeah. And you would hope, my sense is, the majority are increasingly in that space, that mm. very positive space. Mm. And uh, like I thought, you know, Matt Williams made a very fair point, trust the medics, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we're not qualified, but that's not to say mistakes are not being made and mm. this was a big mistake mm-hmm. uh, and it comes hot on the heels of a very similar mistake in the Lockman case so mm. we're definitely entitled to be asking questions of the medics because that's still they, they've they've explained that to a point but we have to find out why HIA are not taking it the video well yeah they, and World Rugby have to get the bottom of the to try and reduce this, the risk of this ever happening again yeah, yeah. The, the um, lessons have to be learned yes. from this but absolutely it, have to be learned it is improving like I sorry, just throwing this in at the end. Relative to where we were five, six, seven years ago, and then relative to another sport very close by, which is rugby league, it's massively improved. And I, and again, you can't you can't fully eliminate risk, but you can get better procedures. And I, I fully agree with you there on yeah, that. But I, I would we are. contend it's improving. In ish, ish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, very quickly, it seemed remiss of us for Josh van der Freer to become the only oh, yeah. the third player mm. in history of rugby in this country to win World Player of the Year not to at least mention it so yeah. Josh van der Freer joins Keith Wood Johnny Sexton that's mad company you know you think Wood, Sexton and now van der Freer up in that that's really rarefied atmosphere so don't you I still did. never win it no no, no never oh. it was robbed oh. robbed should in have, 09 should have won in 09 well, yeah. sure he won it sorry no. okay now it is only based on international performances so what you okay. do captaining your province to Heineken Cup doesn't come into it okay. like he did in that year but, but um, Lions would count as international wouldn't it yes exception yep. on that Lions yep. for all, yep. the, all his international caps yeah yep. majority of Ireland winning the Grand Slam clearly yeah yeah no like I, was, I did a piece on Josh on, on the base that he might win this for last Saturday's paper. Like, he, just even the fact that he made the four-man shortlist deserved to be acknowledged um, in addition to Johnny. And we know Johnny's a generational player and a former winner. And can you believe that back in two, tw- 2021, last year only, in the Six Nations, in rounds three and four, Will Connors started and he wasn't even in the 23. Yeah. On the Wednesday before the final game against England, Will Connors got injured his knee and Josh van der Fleer came into the team. He didn't have an exceptional game, but with Josh still, with, sorry, Will Connor still out, he started the following summer against Japan, had an outstanding game, man, the match scored a try. 
I remember the first game that season, I think it was, against the Bulls at the Aviva, 15,000 people back in. He scored the first try of the season with a 25-metre sprint, running a trailer, picked up a loose ball, bang, gone like a winner. I went, whoa. And it's, you just talk to everybody. We've talked to a lot of people today about him and others about him. He, he, he played 10 out of 11 games for Ireland this season. He's only missed eight minutes of the third test against New Zealand. Mm. His figures are ridiculous. 26 tackles the weekend. I know, but I the felt big, like he was quiet at the weekend. Yeah, but he was brilliant stat. defensively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way he actually went away at 28 years of age to reinvent himself as a really potent carrier, mm. as well as this tackling machine, who's coming up constantly now with big plays in games. It, it actually just shows, it's a great example, not only to other number sevens out there, it's a great example to any player, even in his late 20s, that as one former international put it to me yesterday, the only ceiling that you can buy in front of players is the ones they put there themselves. Mm. He's a great source of inspiration yeah. to a lot, a lot of players. Yeah. And he's a top bloke. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be a yeah, beloved yes, person as yes. well. Everyone. Nobody will say a bad no, word about Rob, him. Yeah. Rob Carney in studio was saying he's about the nicest person I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that reinvention is, uh, to me was, is key in, in, in a lot of this. He was a very kind of Neil Back mould. Mm. Neil Back was not renowned for anything in terms of offensive, offensive play, yeah. ball carrying. And, and Van der Fleer had that whole part of his game completely stitched up but I think Lancaster was quite an influence on that yeah and so was Farrell he told him yeah. to go away and do what he do and yeah, all the coaches at, at yeah, Leinster whether that, whether that was like put a bit of timber on and get more explosive like that's not easy to do either mm. but what he really worked on was the timing of his runs yeah. the depth and the angles he came the off angles, trying to yeah. that's he worked and worked and worked on this to such an extent that I'd say like a lot of players they go into a carry and they go get up yeah I gave myself put about 80% of myself into that uh, something clicked with Josh about a year or two ago yeah. and he started doing every carry at 100% and he's not gone back and I, I do seem to remember him saying that early on in his career and this is testament to his kind of team spirit but he like Sean O'Brien's here so well Makes sense for him to carry, and so yeah, yeah. Mm. he's almost encouraged. Give to Sean and let him yeah. carry. Yeah. Whereas now he's it was great on Andy to Farrell's see someone with that up. attitude and that team, you know, team first attitude, win an individual World Sports Player of the Year accolade. Yeah, they would tend to be, you know, Woody was yeah. was not the type of character who'd be like, well, Sean O'Brien's here. You know, he'd be like, give me the ball. Yes, I'm going to drop. I goal. will do it. I'll do the <laughs> drop goal as well. And Sexton is of that ilk, you know. But obviously, that's his position too. But yes. yes. Yeah, it's nice to see a complete team man mm. be that impactful enough to win World Player of the Year and justifiably. We are right out of time. Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times, I'll see you soon. Next week or two. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, your man is going into uh, hibernation. Oh, we well, see you again. Six, Six Nations. Nations. Six would Nations you do a Champions Cup oh, game yeah. for us? Maybe. maybe. Uh, would you lower yourself to Champions Cup? You would? I'll, we'll have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Andy done with us. Take care. Have a great Christmas. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you. Uh, no, we'll nag Andy to coming back before then. Uh, rugby and off the ball. Thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.